Welcome to Everything Imaginable, a podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo, and today we have Warren Ejewis. He has written a book called Evidence of Extraterrestrials, Over 40 Cases, Prove Aliens Have Visited Earth. Thank you for being on today. Thank you for having me. So, uh, what got you interested into the UFO phenomenon? Um, so I guess it all started when I read, um, Alien Agenda by Jim Mars, um, oh, yeah. after reading that book. I used to know Jim. I, yeah, he's, um, the work he did for the UFO phenomenon is just uh, amazing. Um, and after reading that book, I just realized that, um, the UFO, um, the UFO topic is just much more than, than just strange lights in the sky. Um, and after that, after reading that book, I just... Uh, continued researching, read, reading books, until I finally decided to write one of my own. Awesome. Um, so where did you start your research? Um, my research started by using um, the documents released by the Freedom of Information Act. Um, John Greenwell from the Black Vault has created a, a, a magnificent database um, which um, contains all of these documents. And apart from that, um, well, the thing about my book is that I use factual information. Um, I think that's something that it's very important when it comes to the phenomenon is there are a lot of uh, misinformation out there. Um, so I think I made it a point to use official documents, um, official Air Force documents and um, eyewitness accounts without any uh, misinformation or secondary accounts. Of what actually happened okay so have you actually interviewed some of these eyewitnesses yourself well i haven't but i had the privilege of interviewing stanton friedman before his passing okay. um and he's just uh once again just like jamar's a magnificent person to talk to about the phenomenon and the knowledge he has it's unbelievable as well absolutely so how far back do you go do you just go back to what you could collect in the Freedom of Information Act, or do you start from the beginning? Well, my first step before going through the details of what happened is gathering the information that there is out there. So my process was basically first starting with who the witnesses were. Um, then I gain as much information as I possibly can about their witness accounts um, and their statements and reports to the Air Force. Uh, mm -hmm. From there on, I usually try to see the event from two possible angles. Could this be a case of misidentification or a hoax? Um, and if it is not a hoax, then what is the evidence which proves that this could be an ET aircraft? Okay. Uh, so what is the first, the, the earliest case in time that you cover? Like, like what is the, you know, do you have any cases from the 1800s? Are you starting in the 1900s? Yes. The first case, um, so basically the book is is divided into, into four parts. Um, the earliest case that I covered is the Aurora crash, but 
that's uh, in the second part of the book. The Aurora Clash itself, it happened in, in the late 18, it happened in 1897, exactly. So it's one of the first crashes and one of the earliest accounts that I cover in the book. But there are cases which basically go back to, to, to the early 1900s as well. So the phenomenon goes way back. That's the thing. Um, it's back in a time where there wasn't enough technology to uh, falsify um, photographs, for example. So I think that the earliest cases are the most significant ones as well. So what happened during the Aurora case? Um, what were you able to uncover from that particular case? Yeah, so the Aurora case, what happened is that um, a UFO basically crashed in, in Judge Proctor's windmill. Um, there was a windmill on his property. And there were rumors that an alien body was recovered from the crash site. Um, from there on, there were multiple uh, theories, um, one of which being that the, that the aircraft which crashed was actually extraterrestrial in, in origin. Mm -hmm. um, the, the investigation then um, particularly moved on. For example, they, uh, they found out that the cover-up was was so intense that they dumped both the alien body and the UFO in the well, which uh, was in Dr. Proctor's property. Uh -huh. uh, the later investigations show that the well was actually radioactive. Uh, the water inside the well was radioactive. So it led me to question, was the UFO possibly um, uh, contaminated in some way, naturally? Right. And so, apart from that, and also, uh, isn't there me. another angle uh -huh. to that story? Isn't there also a rumor that that uh, they buried the body in an unmarked grave? Exactly. Yeah, I was going to into that. Um, they also uh, the MUFON team basically found a grave marker, and what this grave marker showed was that an alien body could have been buried there. To me, the interesting part is that as they were gaining permission from the cemetery association. Um, they, they denied them access altogether. Um, after that, they realized that whatever was buried in the grave was no longer there. Um, they used metal detectors early on in the investigation, and the metal detector picked up a signal indicating that something metallic was buried in the grave. Uh, but after they got denied access, um, they, the metal detector basically did not pick anything up which proves that something was moved, essentially, that whatever was hidden, uh, buried in the grave, was moved elsewhere. So this cover-up this cover goes back a long way. It does. Uh, it certainly does. And I think, although it's been uh, such a long time, we still have so many unanswered questions uh, of why this happens, um, and we still don't have any answers for that. How about Roswell? I mean, that, that is another case that's similar where the supposedly bodies and actually even a live alien was recovered from that one. Yes. Um, so there's this... Well, if we go back to the very beginning of the Roswell crash, um, basically Brazil, who, was, uh, who owned a ranch in, in Roswell, New Mexico, he found debris. It was common in those days to find 
wreckage of a weather balloon. Um, in fact, um, the rancher himself, he had identified and located uh, wreckage of a, of a weather balloon. But this time, the wreckage which he found on his ranch, it was not similar to a weather balloon. It was completely different. The materials were completely different. And maybe we can touch up on that later. Um, and as the case progressed, the Air Force released a statement saying that the Air Force was in the possession of a flying disc, only for this statement to be changed just hours later, um, saying that it was actually a weather balloon. But the thing is about the Roswell case is that there are theories that an alien body was recovered. Actually, it states that four bodies were recovered, yeah. one of which was alive. Mm -hmm. But I personally don't think that was the case for the simple reason that if anybody would have uncovered an alien body, it would have been the rancher himself, the first eyewitness. And then there's also not enough evidence to come to that conclusion. The evidence which we do have, we can conclude that something did crash and whatever crashed was most probably extraterrestrial in origin. Now, as I said, since I focus on factual evidence, I don't think that we can come to the conclusion that an alien body was recovered. There just isn't enough information to come to that conclusion. So you don't think they uh, retrieved some bodies? Wasn't there a rumor that they took the bodies to Wright-Patterson? Yes. Um, and that rumor, um, or rather, um, there was a man called Dennis who, who stated he worked at, at the Air Force. And he was a mortician. Um, he didn't work at the Air Force actually. He was mortician who was paid to for who he was paid for his services essentially. Right. And he stated that he was called in and he was asked what the smallest casket um, he has, uh, which was available. And he was also asked how he would treat a body which was exposed to high chemicals. Um, now, uh, naturally, it does. This information does corroborate with the theory that an alien body was recovered. But as we get more information, we realize that this Glenn Dennis person is not very credible himself. Um, he stated that his nurse friend, he, well, he said that he has a friend who is a nurse and works at the Air Force, at the Air Force base. She told him that they had uncovered an alien body, um, three of them, one of which was alive. Um, but he refused to say the name of, of the nurse. Um, after he was pressed by, by, by the media, naturally, and people, he gave them a false name. Um, he gave them a name which basically does not correspond to the uh, records which the Air Force had. Um, and then he later stated that um, the nurse friend had passed away. Um, so, so like I said, I don't think that there is enough evidence to state that an alien body was covered, uncovered. It could have been the case, but there just isn't enough information to come to that conclusion. And I also think that it's important to keep in mind to separate fact from fiction. Mm -hmm. Is this something that actually happened or is this something that uh, we're creating to make the story more, more exciting um, and to sell more essentially because uh, Roswell has become a franchise of its own now. Oh yeah. Um, Prior to the Roswell and Aurora crashes, mm -hmm. do you think the government recovered uh, some extraterrestrial crafts 
as like archaeological discoveries? That's that's an interesting point. Um, here's the thing: there's also um, sightings which go back to to nineteen. Uh, 19, well, 1946 is when the first sighting was properly properly made, which was in Sweden. But prior to that, I am sure that there must have been a crash, um, a UFO crash. Um, for example, there are these theories which state that the Nazis uh, were in possession of extraterrestrial technology. And if we do take this theory in, in, in consideration, it certainly does make sense. Um, if, for example, someone, if anyone goes on Google and types in a Nazi flying disc. Oh, yeah. um, images will pop up, which show uh, literally a flying disc. It looks like the typical flying saucer, the uh, the oval shaped. Um, and the Nazis had this in their possession. So uh, I think it makes perfect sense. Because then we have to ask ourselves, how did they get the technology to create that? Mm -hmm. We're not talking about um, the technology we have in the 21st century. Uh, is the technology was just not available for them to create such a high-end device, a high-end uh, vehicle, essentially. Interesting. So what are some of the earliest photographs of mm -hmm. uh, if UFOs and flying saucers? I mean, obviously, like, during a, a certain, you know, all the way up until uh, practically the 80s, there was no more, there was no such thing as Photoshop and CGI. Mm -hmm. So, so do you consider those photographs better evidence than anything that's been put out since then? And what 100%. are some of the best ones that you've seen? Um, my, I think the one, the one UFO photograph, which is indisputable, um, is the McMinnville photographs. Mm -hmm. um, they, they were taken in 1950 by the Trent couple, uh, by, by Paul and Evelyn Trent. Right. And um, these, this couple, basically, they lived in McMinnville, Oregon. And the quality on that picture is just amazing. It's the highest quality picture, I think, which we have of a flying saucer. And it was analyzed multiple times um, by investigators, and they just couldn't disprove it. They, on numerous occasions, they stated that, listen, these photographs are authentic. They're the real deal. And whatever is on that photograph, it's, it just cannot be man-made. It's impossible to have been man-made. So I would go that, I always state that the McMinnville photographs are basically indisputable proof that flying saucers have been captured on film. And uh, they were analyzed numerous times. So it's not that the investigation was biased in any way. It was investigated numerous times, and all the reports came back saying that it was not a hoax. The photographs are legit, and it, they couldn't have been. They couldn't have been a, a hoax. I mean, the Trent couple—they were basically—they uh, weren't financially able to create models of a flying saucer, or to, um, or to basically. Uh, in some way or another, uh, tamper with the with the photographs. It was just impossible. Right. That's also where the archetype for the flying saucer pretty much originated from. Exactly. Yes. Yes. If if you uh, the photograph is quite um, it's quite accessible online, and and you can see the obvious oval shape, um, and it's such high quality as well, which I think it's it's magnificent. Uh, you can see the, the saucer shape and. 
the way it's sort of is just hovering and you can see that it's hovering so swiftly through the air i think it's, it's the perfect representation of what the ufo sighting looks like interesting um so one of the other cases that you cover which is also one of my personal favorites where there's also photographic evidence is the battle of la yes um I first heard about the Battle of LA in Jim Mars's book, Alien Agenda. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, the case, I was like, how could this have happened? <laughs> right, and me too. Exactly. And how can you even suggest that whatever the UFOs were, were not ET in nature? Um, so the Battle of LA, uh, we were just, the Amer- America was just in, in the height of the Cold War. Everybody was... Uh, there was the, the Pearl Harbor attack just three months prior. We're in 1942 now. Um, and basically in the middle of the night at around 2.30ish, I guess, and the air raid sirens went off indicating that an attack was imminent. Uh, the first thought was it was another Japanese attack, but that was not the case. As thousands of people gathered in Los Angeles, gathered in um, outside their houses, they realized that there were numerous unidentified objects just hovering silently in the sky. Interestingly enough, as the Air Force reacted, they, they, they fired thousands of anti-aircraft shells at these aircraft, but nothing happened. They just stood in the sky hovering silently. It's like they silently. had a force shield around them almost. Exactly, exactly. Um, until they disappeared. And interestingly... Um, because you brought up the force field. Um, I think that's 100% what it was. Nowadays, we have uh, knowledge about anti-gravity technology, and it is possible to create a force field with anti-gravity technology. So it's most certainly a possibility of how these aircrafts could have shielded themselves from the ammunition. Yes. Yeah. And also, if they have the technology to create a force field, I would also assume that they have the technology to cloak. Exactly. 100%. Um, there, are around, there, there are five characteristics, and they're called the five observables. Um, Lou Elizondo and his team at Two the Stars came up with the five observables. Uh, and these five observables are five characteristics of ET aircraft and cloaking effect is one of them. And if we look at it from a point from a physics point of view, if you can manipulate gravity, if you can create your own gravity, then you can easily create a cloaking effect. And this cloaking effect is evident in all UFO sightings in which the description is just a a ball of light, uh, a haze, a a glowing haze, where the description is just not substantial you can see that you cannot get a good view of the ufo it's just a simple uh, glow mm-hmm. and that's the cloaking effect so so one would assume that the ufos that are being seen are being seen on purpose that the ets are making themselves visible because if they have the avail- ability to cloak we wouldn't know they were there at all. Exactly, 100%. So I mean, they want us it, to know that they're there. Exactly. And here's the thing, that if these beings are able to 
travel from one galaxy to another. They're able to clothe themselves. They're able to travel through different mediums, like in the Tic Tac encounter. Why are we still seeing them? Why are we still seeing these UFOs? For what reason? And this is when we start asking questions, which we basically cannot get an answer. They are existential in nature, and we just don't know why. Right. Um, one of the other connections, I don't know if you address it in your book or not, is the connection between UFOs and nuclear weapons. Yes, yes. Um, I addressed I have an entire chapter on it um, because the connection is just, uh, you cannot ignore it. And there are numerous occasions in which flying saucers have been witnessed around nuclear missile sites. Um, in fact, uh, one of the chapters um, is called UFOs Interfere with Nuclear Missiles. And this was such prominent, this was so prominent that a press conference was held and it was televised on CNN. Yeah. Um, it, the, the conference was held in September of 2010 or 2010, in which seven officials took to the stand and stated, we worked in the Air Force, we worked in nuclear missiles, and on numerous occasions, we saw UFOs hovering above the uh, hovering above nuclear missile weapons. Um, and there's even a, another encounter in which UFO disabled like 50, um, I think it was around 50 nuclear missiles. And um, essentially, it's one ninth of the entire missiles owned by the United States, which is alarming. So <laughs> it, it's just... It's genuinely alarming. Like, yeah, and if they can turn them off, then they could probably launch them too. Exactly. So if they are in control of our nuclear missiles, then what if something does go wrong? It's catastrophic. And we have to, we have to ask ourselves, why are they so interested in the nuclear missiles? Are they monitoring our behavior? Are they, are they uh, monitoring our activity for their own needs, I guess? Because if we look at it from... From, from what could be their perspective is that if a nuclear war were to break out, it could affect the rest of the solar system naturally. Right. And that's sort of my next question with the nuclear connection. Mm -hmm. Do you think they are concerned about our nuclear ability and our ability to blow up the planet? Um, mm -hmm. Do you think they're concerned for it because they're actually they exist on this planet, not actually on another planet or somewhere nearby in a solar system like the moon? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, that's an interesting question. It really is because it has so many possibilities. Um, Earth, I guess it's unique its own way. Uh, Stanton Friedman, I asked him, why are they so interested in Earth? Um, and he replied by saying that it has one of the densest metals in the solar system. So maybe they're getting something from our planet, which they need. Maybe may, it could be they even need us humans. Um, I, I sometimes compare humans to, to cows on a, on a, on a farm. Mm -hmm. when, when you drive by and you see cows, you don't, you don't try to start a conversation with them. You just observe them um, for our selfish needs. And I guess this is, how they see things as well. We're just uh, in their own zoo for us, for them to monitor us. So I guess that's why they could be so interested in our nuclear missiles. Could it be that they are preventing another war from happening? 
And in a sense, if you look at the human behavior, we're, we're quite primitive, primitive in the sense that we're so focused on wiping each other out, uh, creating wars for, uh, for I think, uh, petty reasons. Um, it just doesn't make sense. So I think they are having keeping an eye on us, I guess, and monitoring our activity, because again, it does affect them as well. And like you said, if they do have bases here on Earth and on the Moon, it most certainly affects them directly. Um, right. There are theories which say that there are bases in Antarctica mm -hmm. and the Moon. Um, so it does make sense, one hundred percent. Yeah, I was just talking to somebody today about the, uh, and I've actually interviewed somebody who who's been to the base in Antarctica, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely it's it's become a really popular topic over the last couple of years. Yeah, that that, that must have been an interesting conversation. It is, it is, because there's there's some interesting people involved in that story, like Admiral Byrd and. Uh, mm -hmm. Edgar Mitchell. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely an interesting uh, story that uh, there's some, you know, there's there's relatives of some of these people that you can still chase down and talk to. That's that's very interesting. And these stories also go way back to the basically when uh, when the Nazis were in power as well. I mean, there are numerous accounts of the Nazis um, uh, having uh, voyages through the Ant Antarctica, and for what reason? Once again. Is there something there which we do not know that's happening? And and the evidence certainly points to that direction as well. Yeah. Um, how about volcanoes? Any connection mm -hmm. there? I think it would be. Um, I. Here's the thing. Um, when I look at the evidence, I don't think that there is evidence to say yes or no, naturally. But if we look at it from, from a biological point of view, um, once again, Earth is so unique its own way, in its own way. Um, so I definitely think that it's, it's a point of interest, just mm -hmm. as much as the ocean is a point of interest for, for UFOs and for ETs. So I would say yes. And we have to keep in mind that they are here for their own reasons. We do not know what these reasons are, but they will most certainly use whatever we have to their own resources. And by that, I mean uh, natural resources, volcanoes, the, the ocean, um, anything, because we do not know why they're here. And we can only speculate once again. How about Chile? There seems mm -hmm. to be a lot of UFO activity there and abduction yes. activity, probably more than anywhere else in the world. Yes. And, and many people just assume that these cases just happen in America. Right. Um, and, and, and they're not. Um, if we look elsewhere in South America, there's so many cases. And Chile, I think it has so much historical, it's so rich historically that we have to look at that as well. Um, for what reason are, 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 are so many reports coming from Chile? Um, and are these reports authentic? I certainly say so. Um, naturally, one has to look at it from, from an objective point of view without any biases. But there is enough information to see that 
there is a link. Um, and once it seems that there is um, this, this, this link between ancient civilizations and UFO sightings as well, and UFO activity as well. Right. And, and if that is the case, you know, there are rumors also, and, and they've also found evidence in South America through LIDAR that there is mm-hmm. um, ancient civilization in, has been there way longer than what we originally expected. Yeah, yeah. And and, and, that's, and, and what surprises me is that how isn't this information so publicly known? Because then it's easily labeled as, as a conspiracy, but it's not. Uh, when you look back at historical texts and historical evidence, it, it goes way back, way much, way, uh, so much further than than we could ever think, and so much than we, so much further than we're taught in school, essentially as well. Um, how about the uh, Bob Lazar? Mm-hmm. What do you think of, of his? Uh, um, account of uh, being recruited to reverse yeah. engineer a mm-hmm. extraterrestrial aircraft. Have you seen his documentary? It was recently on Netflix. Yes, yes. And I was actually very impressed with it. It's so good. And he has so much information and evidence. It's like, how can you even disprove that? And this guy is basically not getting anything out of this. Nothing. He's just getting hassled. And at one point in the documentary, he still gets raided. Yes. By the FBI. Uh, exactly. So this guy's not gaining anything. There were multiple attempts on his life. Um, he has everything to lose here. And he's so avoidant of the UFO phenomenon. Um, on numerous occasions, he states, listen, as much as possible, I avoid this subject. To me, that shows that this guy couldn't have faked it in any way. And the detail he provided is just so... It's so factual in of itself. He came up with element 115 before. Yes. Um, he mentioned element 115 before it was actually discovered. Uh, how can someone make that up? It's just impossible. And Bob Lazar, he also, the way he describes um, how a UFO functions, I used his, his description quite a lot in my understanding of how these sightings could make sense. Um, once again, he states that they are able to create their own gravitational field. Yes. And if that's the case, then that explains why they can travel from one galaxy to the next in a lifetime. That explains um, the cloaking effect. That explains why they can basically break the sound barrier without producing a sonic boom. Mm-hmm. It explains so many things. It does. It explains a lot of things. And it also, for me, I think the element 115 and the way he describes how it works in the aircraft, to me, if it's powerful enough to um, warp gravity, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to assume that it can also somehow manipulate time. Yeah. But yeah. And yeah, that's I, I why was... people lose time. Exactly, because if you can manipulate gravity, you can essentially bend space-time. Um, you can warp space-time. Um, if you're able to manipulate gravity, then you can also 
manipulate space-time. So that that makes perfect sense. And that could perfectly explain the missing time characteristics when people get abducted as well. Once again, many things add up. Uh, one thing about the Bob Lazar uh, case, which was very interesting to me, was um, the way he described how the nuclear reactor works. Yes. How it was basically similar. a lot of detail. Yeah, yeah. And it's similar to a, a magnetic force. Mm-hmm. Um, and the power of the gravitation, of the gravitational field, the fact that it can make itself invisible, essentially. It's, it's just so mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. It, it, it explains a lot. It explains the propulsion. It explains the way it can move in ways, you know, erratic ways that our aircrafts yeah. cannot. It explains the mm-hmm. missing time. Um, mm-hmm. It explains how they can get so far so fast. Yes. Um, it explains our, some of our uh, experiences that are reported through abduction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and his, his description of Groom Lake is yes. also amazing. Like when he talks about like that security device where he had to put his hands yes, in the hand, and he yeah, said, Oh yeah. no, that doesn't exist. And then guess what? <laughs> it does. It yes. certainly does. And even, um, I, I, I saw multiple videos where, where they actually located S4 on, on Google maps, um, um, Google earth, I Google earth, I think, uh, not Google maps. They were able to locate S4, which was the base, which, uh, he worked at, at mm. Area 51. Um, people say that he worked at Area 51, but he actually worked at S4. Yeah. Um, I think Area 51 is more used as a scapegoat and as a distraction. And all the interesting stuff, I suppose, happens in S4. Um, and they were able to locate S4 on, on Google Earth. And it was exactly as he described. It was exactly camouflaged in the mountain ridge, um, it was exactly um, the amount of miles off Air 51, as he stated. And it's too many coincidences for it to be. Um, there's just too many details, too many details which make sense. It just couldn't have been a coincidence or a hoax. And then once again, what did this guy get out of this? Nothing. He basically lost his dream job, <laughs> uh, you know? Yeah. Um, he got assassinated, almost assassinated numerous times. He gets his own company raided numerous times as well because it happened on numerous occasions. So he's not getting anything out of this. Certainly not any um, substantial, uh, not, he lost everything essentially. He lost everything. Yes, he, he definitely did. Um, I was going to ask you another question, and I kind of just slipped my mind. So, do you think that some of our existing technologies, such as silicone chips and fiber optic technology, uh, is the result of a reverse engineered craft? Hmm. Um, I let me tell you why I don't think so. Um, when we look at an ET aircraft, uh, we were just talking about the anti-gravity propulsion system. It's so sophisticated. It's basically, we cannot even comprehend it with the knowledge which we currently have. Now, when compared to devices which we currently have, 
there's a discrepancy. To me, it seems that their technology is so advanced that we it's absurd to us. We cannot comprehend it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the devices which we currently have, um, they we can make sense of them. Now, could it be that we reverse engineer them over time? We, yes, it could have been the case, but how could these devices benefit um, an ET aircraft? Um, to me, it, it sounds in the sense that maybe they're too simple for them to be ET aircraft in origin. What do you think about it? I think they have. And, and my what, what got me into the whole UFO topic was I used to work at Bell Labs. Okay. And one of the scientists there had told me, he was real frank about it. He's like, he said that he had worked um, on reverse engineering a UFO with NASA and that they were distributing the technology through the private sector. And some of that technology was fiber optics and uh, silicone chip. That's and this is one of the things I like about UFO topics that you, you're always learning and there's never enough information out there. Um, do you think that maybe um, NASA are in somewhere or another hiding information from the public? Oh, of course they are. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Just mm-hmm. uh, you know, like one of the things is like like for example the Mars rover. Mm-hmm. Um, one, I, I don't think. I, I think there's a reason why they keep sending rovers there. I think mm-hmm. they've already found something, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, I think they're just it's more of a intelligence gathering information rather than yeah. exploration yeah. at this point. And exploration, yeah. You know, yeah. otherwise they would be sending humans because we can send humans. Yeah. And also, I think there's something on the moon. Um, if mm-hmm. there was not. We would be sending humans already back to the moon exactly. because exactly. my guess is there has to be some kind of resources on the moon that humans would be able to use on this planet anyway. Yeah, yeah, most certainly. And even um, there is a theory which states that the hollow moon theory, essentially. Yes. Um, and it states that the moon is such an anomaly. Um, it's basically so well-placed um, if, you, if we look at the eclipse, the solar eclipse, it's so perfectly placed that it just couldn't have been a coincidence. It just right. couldn't have been. And this also, my opinion, for example, where we're talking about the moon and how uh, we could send humans there. I think many people talk about the, the Apollo 11 mission as being a hoax. Um, and you, uh, people are probably asking, why am I bringing this up? But... I think that when man first went on the moon, we realized that it's not as we thought it would be. Um, We saw things that we weren't expecting and the public wasn't ready to see, which is why it could have been, um, could have been, I guess, staged in a sense. Because the real footage footage would have showed something else, something which the public cannot know yet. And we still cannot know these things yet. Right, I I just believe that we would have continued to go back there because what makes sense to me, at least in my head, is gold is one of our most valuable things. Yes, on this planet, and gold comes from 
meteors and asteroids back, you know, thousands mm-hmm. and millions of years ago hitting our planet. You know, mm-hmm. it's not natural to our planet. It, it, it came from, you know, blowing up stars. Mm-hmm. And the moon doesn't have atmosphere and it has a whole bunch of craters from all kinds of impacts. Yeah. With all those craters and all those impacts, I would have to believe that there would have to be an abundance of gold there. Mm-hmm. 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 It just makes sense. It does. It certainly makes sense. And if there's abundance of gold there, trust me, we're going to go there and get it. Yeah, most certainly. With the way that we as humans operate in our selfish ways, we most certainly would have, yeah. So so, so something else has to be there or preventing us from going there. Yeah, exactly. And maybe in the sense that we cannot, um, if we do send humans on the moon, um, everybody would be expecting um, footage and coverage of it. And what if we just cannot, NASA cannot provide that because the public cannot know what's really up there, what's really on the moon. Yeah, yeah. And even through like a um, a regular old telescope, the moon looks a bit unusual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we, we can see it, you know, if we want to. Yeah, yeah. Um, in, in, what, in what sense do you think that um, the cover-up, for what reason would it, would it, would it be happening? On the moon? Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't know if I buy the hollow moon theory. Yeah, yeah. I do kind of buy into that there might be something on the dark side of the moon. Yeah, the dark side. Where yeah. we can't see. Uh, since we're never able to view that side from Earth, it's a perfect hiding spot. It certainly is. And also, is it a coincidence that we cannot see that side? Um, could it be that maybe uh, maybe there are alien bases on the other side of the moon? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if, I, if, I were to, if I were observing Earth, that would definitely be one of the places. I, I mean, there's three places that I would want to hide, would we consider hiding. The dark side yeah. of the moon, bottom yeah. of the ocean. Exactly. The Arctic or Antarctic underneath exactly and in fact those are just in my opinion um the three places where it would just would make perfect sense for there to be alien bases at yes um so back to the to the uh you know we were talking about chile and and you know some countries do acknowledge the existence of ufos like mexico and canada do yeah yes but the United States doesn't. doesn't. Why do you think that some countries are more open about it and other countries are not? Nationalism. Um, and this was the reason that Stanton gave me as well. Um, uh, for example, the Brazil UFO incident, which I cover in my book, the Air Force basically stated, we do not know what these UFOs are. They could be extraterrestrial in nature. Now, when has the U.S. Air Force ever said that? Practically never. Now, w- why the difference in the way we, in the way the U.S. approaches these uh, the cases? I think a sense of pride. And if the Air Force and the government comes out and says, "Listen, there are beings who visit our planet. They are infinitely more advanced than us." 
we are basically powerless over them and we just do not know anything about them. It would lose all its power. Um, the government loses all of its power. And what would happen then? Once again, in nationalism, I think that's that's the answer. And, and when compared to countries such as Canada, I feel like they're such much more open-minded, much more open-minded in the sense that they, are, they know that no human could ever think that we're alone in this planet. They're not burying their head in the sand. And they know that people are ready to know the truth, which is why they do not hide it. Hmm. But one of the things, it, it creates a contradiction. You know, mm-hmm. I, I I mean, it almost makes Americans look stupid, in my opinion. Yeah. It makes us look like yeah. idiots to be like, okay, well, these other countries are saying that these UFOs exist, that they're probably extraterrestrial. And here we are, oh, no, they don't exist. Let's just make some exactly. sci-fi movies to make fun of it. Exactly. Exactly. It's it's a joke, isn't it? I mean, it just doesn't make sense at all. Um and if we look at the way other countries approach the phenomenon, it puts America to shame, really. Yeah. It just does. Unless they're hiding something really, really big. Yeah. I mean, what if they're hiding it? I mean, if we look at the Bob Lazar, um, Bob Lazar story, essentially, maybe by not acknowledging it, they could not acknowledge what Lazar is saying. If they do not acknowledge the UFO phenomenon altogether, it means they cannot acknowledge, or rather, it gives them the the space to not acknowledge other aspects of the phenomenon as well, such as anti-gravity propulsion. Hmm. Do you think the United States government has anti-gravity propulsion, and that maybe some of the UFOs we see belong to the military, such as the Phoenix Lights incident? Yes, <laughs> that's such a good question. Um, is the Air Force in position of anti-gravity? Yes, most definitely. Do they know how to fully operate it to its full capacity? I don't think so. Now, when it comes to the Phoenix lights, um, there is this, I guess, argument. Is it UFO? Is it extraterrestrial in nature? Or is it just a military... Uh, military aircraft and I covered this in, in my book and um, I asked could it be that um, they are either flares uh, because as, there was this theory that they're definitely not flares that, yeah exactly but, I, I, that's a dumb theory <laughs> yeah ironically enough the Air Force stated that they released slow falling um, long burning flares uh, which it doesn't make sense right off the bat yeah but but the V-shape of the Phoenix lights um, corroborates eyewitness reports. Um, there was a family who lived right, um, right, right across the the Air Force, the Air Force base, and each time, um, and each time, aircraft, military aircraft, would be dispatched. They would hear the sonic boom. I mean, you cannot miss the sonic boom. Uh, but the Phoenix light, it was basically silent. It was, the, the lights were hovering motionlessly and completely silently. To me, that it couldn't have been man-made. The, whatever the Phoenix lights were, it just couldn't have been man-made. Okay. 
So, so you think the Phoenix Lights were actual ex, were extraterrestrial in nature? I do think so. Um, if we look at the evidence, I mean, the V shape, which was described as being basically bigger than a Boeing seven forty seven, um, it flew overhead numerous people, and it was um, completely silent. It disappears in an instant. I mean, I don't think that the military is in possession of such advanced technology that could have these characteristics. Do you think there's a connection between the Phoenix lights and the triangle UFO reports from New England? Yes. Um, I think the Phoenix lights, they represent um, a certain, a certain UFO shape. Uh, for example, the, this, the UFO sightings over New England, um, the triangular shape, yes. they're very, they're common characteristics. Um, it's a common, it's a common sighting. So uh, I think just like we have the cigar-shaped UFOs, um, there are also these V-shaped, triangular-shaped aircrafts, um, which are definitely witnessed by numerous people. I mean, even in Belgium and Europe, um, there was this uh, UFO wave of the Belgian UFO triangle. It was certainly, it caused it caused many people to question um, what was happening in the European skies as well. Um, did you write about the case where the flying saucers are seen and reported flying over the United States Capitol? The the Washington DC um, sightings, yes. the ones in 1952, mm-hmm. yes. And, and I think what was funny is that uh, the president called um, Ruppelt, um, who was in charge of Project Blue Book, and he was basically asking him, what's happening? And he was just like, we don't know what these, or what these lights were. Granted, then they gave the explanation of um, the inverted temperature, um, which was just silly once again. I think it was just another example of um, the United Air Force making a mockery of itself. And it was ironic um, how even the president was questioning and acknowledging the UFO reports. Yeah. That was a, a, maybe that was just a blatant message that the ETs were trying to send to the United States government. Yeah, and many people are questioning, like, if UFOs exist, then why don't they land um, on the White House lawn? Well, they practically have. They practically have. I mean, how closer can we get, really? They literally, on on two weekends, I think, I think it was a UFO wave over two consecutive weekends, they basically were sighted by thousands, if not millions, of individuals over the White House, Mm -hmm. over the Capitol. Do you think there's a treaty between the United States and the ETs that was created by Eisenhower? Um, here's the thing. I, I don't think so, for the simple reason that any sort of treaty, it doesn't add up with abduction claims. Um, once again, 
abduction claims such as Tibetan Barney case, uh, Whiteley Street Bear, there is no consent to it at all. It's completely invasive. They never give permission to any of this. They simply get abducted um, for their own needs and they are returned as though nothing had happened. So for what, for what, how would they benefit from a treaty when in reality they've been abducting humans um, since the beginning of time, really? Um, and, and it's been working just fine for them. That's my opinion, naturally. Mm. That they are, they're not here to serve us or to um, make agreements with us. They're here for their own reasons. Um, whether we agree with those reasons or not, it doesn't matter. Um, these, I think they see us the same way we see, um, sadly enough, animals in which they, they are used as experiments in a certain extent. Um, we don't ask for consent to carry out certain experiments, and neither do they at the end of the day. Um, some of some abduction claims like Betty and Barney Hill, Whiteley Strieber, they're so invasive and so traumatic and psychologically that there's no need for there to be a treaty, for there to be consent in any way. I'm not sure what you think about that. I don't know. It's something to think about. You know, it's actually something I plan on researching a little bit more. I've been trying to get a hold of uh, Laura Eisenhower herself to get some more information. Because I like to actually talk to some of the people themselves who've, you know, have inside knowledge. Yes. And that's really the only way I can make my own judgment. And since I don't have access to that information right now, mm -hmm. I can't say for sure. Um, and it takes also great humility to say, listen, I just don't have enough information to come up with a conclusion. Yeah. Um, there just needs to be more information. And until then, I will keep researching. I will keep finding information. Um, until then, I, I just don't have an opinion, really. Right. One of the things that I do think is part of their agenda, and one of the things that I, they do use humans for, that I believe, and it's because I've talked to a few people about it, and I believe them, is for reproduction. Yes. I think there's they have some kind of reproduction issue, and they kind of, for somehow, they use humans as a temporary vessel for if to, to create new species for themselves. Yeah, and if you look at the abduction claims by uh, Barney Hill, uh, Whitey Strieber, to name a few, they all mentioned the same side effects where, um, uh, I'm not sure what, I'm not sure of the, the correct term, so I stand to be corrected by um, growths start, um, start appearing in, in the genital, in the genital region. Um, they describe suction like cups being placed over their genitals. Mm -hmm. um, so there's definitely the reproductive aspect. And I'm not sure if, if um, you've ever read into the Betty and Barney case. I have. Um, on one occasion, Betty states that um, a device was, was used um to it was inserted above their uh, above her abdomen and at that point in time we didn't know what device what, what the device could have been and now we have enough technology that it a certain device a similar device is used 
to to monitor the amniotic fluid in a placenta. So there's definitely that reproductive that reproductive aspect to to an abduction. It's indisputable. Yes. How about the implant part of it? You know, the other day I was. I haven't even posted this one yet. Uh, his name is Terry Lovelace, and he had uh, he'd been inducted, and he said that he had found some implants behind his knees. Mm-hmm. What would you think the purpose of implants are? Because there's always there's been a lot of reports of implants too. Yes, there have been so many claims, and my best answer would be like a longitudinal study, I guess. Like what would happen if we keep studying this human over a period of time? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the easiest way to do that is through an implant, natu- an implant naturally. So if an abduction happens and we're able to place an implant into this person, we can track their, um, their, their behavior, their movements over time. They could get a clearer picture of, of the human behavior, of the human condition. Um, so I, and there have been so many accounts as well. Um, of surgeries being made um, on which implants have been removed. Um, there's a lot of cases, good cases as well with, with good enough evidence. Yes. Um, so one of the other common denominators of these cases, I mean, we have the uh, reproduction, we have the implants, we have the loss of time. Mm-hmm. Um like, like, like you use the cattle idea, and that they're just using this. I just, um, I don't know. There's something. The, the, what I always think about though is they always return the people that yeah. they take in one. Yes. You know, at least it, I mean, they might do some harm. But mm-hmm. they return them in a way where they're able to go back to, to their lives. Yeah. And, and is it as a way to say, um, a, a, as a way that they are not harmful in nature? It could be the case. But then there are also cases in which there is, it's, it's so clear that they have malicious intentions. Um, I have covered a few topics, such as the death of Thomas Mantell, um, in which... Uh, he pers- basically lost his life as he was chasing a UFO. Mm-hmm. And it's clear that the UFO was responsible for his death. And that there are other cases which show just that. So could it be that there are multiple races of, of aliens and different races have different intentions? To me, that makes the most sense. Yes. If we look at abduction, abduction, for example, right. if we look at the abductions where they are returned safely, um, Whiteley, Streber, uh, Dave the Hills, they've all returned um, and they live to tell their story. But other cases have different outcomes. Um, Frederick Valentich, um, Thomas Mattel, um, Felix Monkland, Robertson, Robert Watson, they all lost their lives as they were chasing UFOs. And that to me showed just how serious the UFO phenomenon is. And in my book, I state that these cases prove that this is not just about uh, lights in the sky or green little men. This is about uh, humans losing their lives at the end of the day. And they're losing their lives because they're chasing an answer which the government is failing to provide. Right. 
one of the other common denominators that I have discovered with abduction cases is they seem to be generational. Mm-hmm. Have, have, have you found that as well? That that usually, you know, if somebody's abducted, they'll sometimes they'll find out that their parents, their grandparents, and you know, going back further than they could probably even trace. Yeah, um, I personally haven't looked too much into it, if I'm being honest. Um, but once again, it, it all ties back to to humans being used as as case studies. Um, so, so I can certainly see it making sense. If it's generational, do you think it is possible that the humans that they are studying are actually cloned humans or some type of hybrid? Mm-hmm. And that, that that's reproducing and are studying the effects of that hybrid hybridization, I can't pronounce that word, um, over generations. Yes, and maybe they're studying how well they're fitting in to... I mean, that that, that makes sense when you put into the... makes the the reproduction aspect of it. Exactly. It does make sense. And once again, I'm, I'm going to look into it um, after this, because there's just so much that we don't know, and so much information which makes keeps creating more existential questions. Once again, like for what reason? And uh, this is what's fascinating to me personally. Hmm. So, what UFO case is your favorite? Or the one that, uh, that that leaves you scratching your head. Yes. Or maybe you find disturbing. I was genuinely hoping that you would ask that question because I have two. Um, the Tic Tac UFO, which was recent one. Um, but the first case which made me want to write a book is the, um, is the Tehran UFO case. Um, where basically... Um, the UFO, it literally malfunctions um, a fighter jet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was Tehran in, in, in Iran. Yeah. And what happened was that um, they started seeing UFOs in the sky and they um, scrambled, they scrambled, I believe, um, F4 jets. Yeah, F4 jets. Um, and he was able to make visual contact with the UFO. And as he started approaching it, um, he started losing communications back with the base, uh, which was the first inclination that um, we're not the ones in control of the air sky. But what happened then on radar, um, he started seeing that as he started closing down on the on, on the UFO, each time he um, each time he started penetrating, um, I believe it was. Um, a f- 70 mile radius, I suppose. The same thing would happen each time he got 70 miles close to the object, he would lose communications. And on one occasion, um, the fighter pilot he tried to launch a nuclear missile um, because it posed a threat to national security, naturally. And what happened is that he was unable to launch the missile. He was un- <laughs> It was completely disabled. And to me, that's the biggest... Yeah. Uh, that like this is not going to happen. Right. Um, 
so that was the first case which made me want to to research the topic that's a good one yeah and the recent tic-tac ufo i guess it's become legendary in its own way where the ufo basically outmaneuvers a fighter jet and also the fastest submarine which the u.s navy has in its possession Mm -hmm. that to me is mind-blowing what do you think about Louis Alessandro and Chris Mellon? Do you think uh, they are part of some type of disclosure? Um, the guys from To The Stars Academy, they've made uh, magnificent claims. I mean, they basically declassified the footages, which which we now see, uh, the Tic Tac UFO, the gimbal, the go fast. This was all they're doing, I suppose, and Tom DeLonge as well. Um Lou Elizondo, he's made some extraordinary claims. And extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, as Carl Sagan states. Yeah. Um, he states that the U.S. is in possession he, he, of metal metal alloys. He's delivered some I, evidence so far, though. I mean, the video is pretty yeah. amazing. It's so amazing. And which is why I think that they're so reputable people. They're just uh, they're doing so much for the, for the UFO community. Um, and Lou Elizondo states that um, we're in possession of metal alloys, yes. mm-hmm. which are AT in nature. They can't be from China or Russia. And he also stated that he was part of Project ATIP. Yes. And it turns out that he was right once again. So how much more evidence do we need to start saying, listen, they are saying the truth over here. So and the same with Chris Mellon. I think they are the right they're they're the right people to be doing this job i suppose even though i um low elizondo is not part of uh to the stars anymore i still think that he's done a magnificent job so far and he will keep doing the same thing yeah you know i i just learned about like when did he depart from to the stars um i believe it was a, i stand to be corrected but i think it was late last year huh. um I think he did so because he was not uh, too keen on the entertainment side of it, I guess. Because mm-hmm. they did uh, create a TV show called Unidentified. Yeah. It's it's a great show. It was. Um, but, but maybe it's not something that which he was too keen on. I stand to be corrected, though. Yeah, I don't know, because he still shows up on other shows. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, are there any cases that you think are just total bunk? Yeah. Um, yes. Um, Abduction-wise, I think that uh, the Stan Romanek case, I'm not too fond of it. Um, the Stan Romanek case. Mm-hmm. When it comes to UFO sightings, there have been a few cases in which I've been a bit hesitant. Um, in fact, the ones which I included in my book, I was most certain that these cases are are credible in their own way. So I I, I don't think I can name right off uh, right off the bat any case in particular which I don't uh, believe in, because the ones which I did analyze are are all included in the book, mm-hmm. and I only included things which are uh, factual in of themselves and which prove that aliens have visited Earth. They always have. Um, whether we like it or not. 
Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that you had mentioned earlier is about different species of aliens. Uh, mm-hmm. Just yesterday, I was interviewing somebody who wrote a book called the 82, it's called the Alien Species Almanac, 82 Species of Aliens. That's cool. That's cool. And um, and he goes through through some of them. And, you know, it's one of those things. Like some of them, I'm going to say, okay, you know, there's just a lot of reports, so I can't dismiss it. And then there's others where I question it. Yeah. Uh, like, like I have no question in my mind about the grays, you know. Yeah. I know yeah. that they exist. What they are, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people sort of describe them as like worker bees kind of. Yeah. Like they're yeah. they're like almost like mechanical in, in nature. Uh, like they're working for some higher intelligence. And then there's other species that I hear about, like um, like a species that looks like a praying mantis. Yes. Yes. You know, um, mm-hmm. what do you think? Do you think that all these species exist, or do you have any that that you're more certain about than others? Uh, once again, uh, the greys, like you said, I think I'm most certain about, as well as the Pleiarans. Um, uh, Billy Meyer speaks about them quite quite a lot, but but there are other species such as uh, the ones similar to a praying mantis, which I once again I would like to separate fact from fiction. Um, and what what evidence do we have which this these species exist? There is evidence which shows that the greys have visited us as well as the Pleiarians, but the praying mantis species, I guess I'm not too sure about. And um, I stand to believe evidence over claims. What happens with humans is that we, we love storytelling. Uh, <laughs> sure. We love storytelling. And the more interesting a story is, the better. Um, so we can easily get mixed up in the imagination aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And this is what I, what I think makes a lot of people turn away from the UFO phenomenon is the, the imagination side of it. Um, so I do tend to stay away from, from, uh, from certain theories such as um, praying mantis species and things like that. How about the shape-shifting reptilian? I once again a bit hesitant about that Um, there are theories which make sense but once again what's what are the facts what evidence is there Mm -hmm. Um, I I can uh, confidently say that there is evidence which supports that degrees exist because let's compare the descriptions given by numerous abductees they all describe the species in a certain way and the grays is simply a way for us to um, refer to them, right? Right. So, um, once again, I do. I can confidently say that yes, these the gray species exist, but other species such as the uh, the shapeshifters, mantis, I'm not too keen on them. Uh, how about the Nordics? Billy Meyer mentions them quite a lot. Um, and I, I don't see, there aren't many cases which 
have substantial amount of evidence which describe um, the Nordic species. Um, so I'm not too sure, but when it comes to the Pleiarians, um, which I guess are, are similar, but they also corroborate the Betty Hill story. Yes. Uh, the, so that to me makes sense because there's evidence for that. Hmm. When I think about the Nordic species, at first I thought, you know, there was nothing to it. But then I started thinking about it in a different context. I started thinking about it in the context of men in black. Mm -hmm. Because the men in black are often described as, you know, wearing all black and having very pale white skin. And I wonder if there's a connection there between them and the Nordics, if they're the same thing. Exactly. Yeah. To me, that that perspective makes more sense. Uh, Because like you said, the, the description given it makes sense the translucent like skin uh the the reptilian like skin that that makes more sense to that makes perfect more more sense to me at least than than what uh, the majority of people say um so for example when taking the consideration of the men in black are they government agencies or are they et themselves and if they are eating themselves, then why are they um, coming after people who had um, an encounter when they could have encountered missing time? Right. If aliens have the possibility of manipulating us and causing us to have missing time, why are the men in black chasing people and urging them not to speak up, essentially? Because mm-hmm. they're a different species. Yeah, yeah, and which is why that perspective it makes more sense. Maybe they don't have uh, the power to to manipulate in in certain way which other species do. Right. It could be the case. So, so they have to kind of strong arm people into being quiet. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I, like, like I, I, that's what I think because the Men in Black is definitely there's something to that because there's too many reports of it. Too many reports. Yeah. Yeah, and the footage from uh, Canada, I believe, um, where they're caught on CCTV, it's yeah. just, it's, it's so amazing. That's amazing footage. Interesting. Do you think that there's a possibility that there is some type of war going on between several different species of extraterrestrials over some of the resources on this planet. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, this is how we see Earth, I suppose. Yes. Um, As com- competing it... for, for, for different, exactly. for land and for money and exactly power. Exactly. 100%. And I guess as humans, we, we are brought up with the idea that um, we compete through war. Um, just, I mean, uh, going to Iraq for oil is a perfect example. Um, but maybe these beings, they just don't have, uh, that primitive aspect in them that maybe, um, war just is not something that they essentially participate in. 
these are all speculations once again, and they raise some existential questions about humans as well. Um, why do humans start wars? Is it for genuine resources? Is it for ulterior motives? Um, and do these alien beings possess the same qualities which humans do? Selfishness, greed, um, power, you know? Right. Do you think that some alien accounts are multidimensional? Yes. Um, yes, for the simple reason is that the universe, it's a multiverse, right? Yes. Um, and it's, it's ever-expanding. So in a universe which is ever-expanding, it's basically infinite. There are multi-dimensions. Multi so yes, I think we have to look at it from from that perspective that the universe is too large for us to comprehend. We just can't wrap our heads around it. It's infinite, it's multidimensional. So yes, there could be the case that there are multidimensional um, sightings, as, like encounters, as you're saying as well. I want to ask you, I hope you don't mind if I ask you this question, because I know mm -hmm. some people will laugh at it and other people's, mm -hmm. but will take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's a connection between extraterrestrials and Bigfoot sightings and cryptids? Um, because quite often it seems like when there's a, yeah. like Bigfoot sightings, like one of the things that I've even seen, you know, videos of it are are these weird lights. Yes, yes. Um, I think that the two phenomena should be seen from from uh, different angles, right? So we see the UFO phenomenon from one area and, and Bigfoot, I guess, from, from a different one. Um, yeah. Is there a link? Possibly. But I, 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 it would be foolish for me to, to say yes or no, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, I haven't researched um, Bigfoot sightings um, myself. Uh, what do you think about it? I mean, what I, I mean, my answer would be I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know if there's a connection. Uh, I, but I think it's a possibility. I, I think the, the one is there's too many accounts of UFOs and unexplained aerial phenomena in the same places around the same time as Bigfoot sightings. So that part of it cannot be denied. Um mm -hmm. Now, what is actually going on? How they're connected? I have no idea. Yeah, I yeah. don't. Know. And that's the thing. Sometimes you can say there's a link, but I don't know what that link means. Yeah, there are. A, there's a lot of evidence which shows that there's a link, but that link in of itself, um, we cannot make sense of it. We just don't know. Mm -hmm. How about the spiritual side of ETs? Do you think there is a spiritual... Because I've interviewed a lot of people that say that they're in psychic communication with extraterrestrials from different star systems and mm -hmm. they have these spiritual awakenings. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If do, I'm being honest, mm -hmm. the spiritual side of it is the most fascinating part of the phenomenon to me. Um, Wheatley Strieber himself states that it's more spiritual than physical. Um there's certainly physical aspects to it, but there's also a spiritual one because there has to be. Um, is it something that 
maybe they're they're studying our psyche as well. Um, I I think there is a connection, most definitely. They can't be just um, examining our bodies and not our minds and our our spiritual side. Um, so yes, I would say so. Yes. Right. For me personally, I have to say just the idea of me sitting around considering the fact that extraterrestrials exist and multidimensional things exist open, well, that automatically opens my mind to sp uh, angles of spirituality yeah. that I would have never considered before even looking into the phenomenon. Exactly, 100%. I mean, how can we consider such things and then not the spiritual side of it, right? Right. Yeah. Um. So, what do you think are the, do you think we're going to see alien disclosure within our lifetime? Um, that's such. Or alien contact even. <laughs> yeah, that's such an interesting question. I think that disclosure is happening. Yeah. Um, it's happening right now. It, it's happening with the release of the Tic Tac gimbal go fast footage. I think that's as close as we're going to get to disclosure. Will there ever be a point where the government is going to come out and say, um, you extraterrestrials exist? I think that would be quite, um, quite an understatement in my opinion. Um, but when it comes to, to this government disclosure, if we look at the past attempts, uh, past projects, I mean, Project Blue Book, Project Science, Project Grudge, they were humorous and of themselves. I mean, the conclusions they came to, they dismissed the phenomenon altogether. And they ridiculed eyewitnesses. It was just humiliating. Um, and I covered these, these government projects in my book and I outlined just how um, inaccurate and biased they were. So nowadays, I think the most, uh, well, the most recent government-funded project was Project ATIP. Yeah. Um, and Luelizondo, uh, the director, he stated some claims which I never think would have been made in previous years. I mean, he came out and says, he came out and said, listen, the possession of metal, metal alloys, they are ET in origin. Um, um, they released uh, these footages, I have said. I think this is as close as we're going to get to disclosure. Um, I ask myself, what more would I, what more are humans expecting what are what more are we expecting um are we expecting them to say uh, they're in possession of flying saucers i don't think they can ever be in a position where the government can say so because once again if they do come out and say so that implies that they they don't have as much power as we want them mm -hmm. to think they have so i think this is the closer the closest we're going to get why do you think it is that we expect that disclosure is going to come from our government rather than from science? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's ironic, isn't it? That we expect the government to give us the answer and not science. I think it just shows the, the element of, of how brainwashed we are, that we expect answers from the government when the government is not as open and as unbiased as it as they should be, as science is factual, it's objective, it's independent. Um, I mean, for example, if you look at scientists such as Stephen Hawking, mm -hmm. uh, Carl Sagan. I mean, they all acknowledged 
the possibility of of ET existence and yeah, and even Michio Kaku. Exactly, exactly. Um, so we have to look at disclosure from from that perspective as well, from science. The more we learn about the universe, I mean, the more information we're getting. I think the second we realize that the universe is infinite, to me that proves that aliens exist. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> we're not alone in this universe. There's exactly. no possible. I mean, it's, it's mathematically impossible. Math exactly, just mathematically impossible. The second we realize that uh, there are other galaxies, to me that's disclosure. To me, any unbiased person will realize that we're just not alone. We never were and we never will be. And that's as much information as we need in reality. And in a sense that we're privileged to have documented these UFO cases. These UFO cases are just added evidence. Even if we did not have these UFO cases, there still would be enough evidence to come to the conclusion that we're not alone. Wow. So I can't think of a better spot to end this interview. Yes. <laughs> because because <laughs> that was very that was eloquently spoken and yes. and, and very I don't know, I can't even describe it. That, it was, what you just said was incredible. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. It's been um it's been a, a privilege to be here. Awesome. It was great to have you. And before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? Um, so you can find me um, uh, on Facebook. Um, you just have my name. I, uh, um, but you can also contact me via email. Um, my email is just uh, wajus67 at gmail.com. I'm open to anyone who wants to talk with me on the phenomenon. Um, so, yeah, um, I look forward to feedback on the book. And I also look forward to, to communicating with everyone who wishes to speak. And also, in the links to this episode, I will post a link um, to your book also. Thank you very much. So my listeners will be able to purchase it because I'm sure they're going to want to read it because it is such a good collection of cases. And you do yeah. have a very, very honest mm -hmm. view yeah, on it, very so non-biased and honest, which I, I really, really enjoy. Was, it's, it's a pleasure just talking to you. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like I said, I wanted to separate fact from fiction and as much as possible view this from a non-biased um, view myself. I mean, before uh, before writing this book, I promised myself that I would approach each each case um, with a skeptical mind, if possible. Um, so yeah, um, I tried to be as unbiased as I possibly could be. Uh, excellent and i just sent you a friend request on facebook excellent thank <laughs> so you so much. We can stay in touch and i can have you back yeah. on again that would be a privilege thank you so much all right well thank you and just hang on one second while i play the outro of course thank you for listening to everything imaginable on kgra radio you can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh, yes. 
I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you loved what you listened to, don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe.